Welcome. This is Brent Kelly with Ignite Ministries. I pray that these teachings will dive you deeper into an understanding of sonship and the finished work of the cross. Again, thank you so much for listening to these messages. Start off with prayer, and then we'll kind of see where everything kind of rolls after that. That's a good place to start. So Holy Spirit, we just we just give you room to move this morning. We just invite you here. So we just open our hearts to receive just the the presence of Jesus. Just come. Come. Just touch our hearts right now. And I just ask that you would just lead me this morning. Just walk with us this morning. Lord, we're here to enter into your presence, to just stand in your glory. So just come, come Holy Spirit. Just thank you right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. One of the things I love is never knowing what's next. That's always fun when it comes to ministry. Never trying to come up with a formula to how things work. And just learning to be sensitive to him to his spirit. Um, you know, I was, I was having a, yeah, I'll just kind of go this direction. Just speak Holy Spirit. Just lead us. Yesterday, Cessna and I were having a conversation. I think she was asking me what my vision was for Ignite. You know, what, what, what's, what's the vision for Ignite? And I said, if, if I could remove church from the equation and it could become community, I would like that a whole lot more. Um, family. You know, I've, I've been talking about the last few weeks, love um, and what that looks like. And even looking back over my life and realizing that there were, there were moments of my life that I felt like I loved better. I loved more. Um, funny thing is, is a lot of times those, those moments that I felt like I loved more were probably some of the greatest moments of persecution that I'd ever gone through. And I think those moments of persecution where literally I felt like my heart was getting just diced up. <laughs> um, I had to learn how to, how to respond in love in those moments. You know, this morning I was reading um, Philippians chapter 2. And at the beginning it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy and be in 
fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem others better than themselves. Wow. I believe that's one place within the church that we have failed a hundred times. Let us esteem others. I, I quickly found that ministry made people expendable when it went against their vision. If you're not a part of my vision, then you're expendable. I've seen that a lot in ministry. You know, when I, when I was working in the secular world, I had this, you know, there was the rat race. We always talked about the rat race. Little did I know in ministry, there was a rat race. <laughs> it seemed like everyone was trying to climb over each other, trying to build some podium for themselves, some, some pulpit which they could minister through. It was this chasing of testimonies, this chasing of, look what God did through me, look what God's doing through me. And, you know, I read this verse, therefore, if there is any comfort or consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. So I, I look at this love. What is, what is this love that Jesus is talking about? What is this transformational love that comes into our life and it sets us on fire? This love is fire. <laughs> You know, this love, the knowledge of the love of Jesus, Ephesians, the, you've heard me quote it several times, the knowledge of the love of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. Where do we get a hold of this love that surpasses all understanding? Where do we get this love that is so absolutely transformational, that redeems and reconciles, you know, People often say, well, God is holy, God is righteous. Well, God is love, and love is who he is foremost. Holiness and righteousness is an attribute of love. It's, it's, it's a defining of what love is. His love is righteous. His love is holy. His judgment is his love. That... That's where it becomes transformational is when I understand it's the love of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. And Paul goes as far as to say that understanding, which cannot be fully grasped within this dispensation of time, as Paul says, it's like looking through a glass <laughs> dimly. <laughs> when he starts out, Corinthians 13, and he talks about love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, love is, and he talks about if I have not love, but yet I prophesy, if I have not, if I speak in the tongues of angels, but have not love, and he goes in and he talks about the defining of what love is. 
But as he goes a little bit further, he says, but we see partially through a glass. We don't see the fullness of what we can have yet. So when he says that the knowledge of the love of Jesus surpasses all understanding, it cannot be understood because it reaches far beyond height nor depth, heaven nor hell. It goes further than you could ever imagine. Where sin abounded, grace abounds much, much more. Much, much more. While I was yet a sinner, his love was demonstrated toward me. I was compelled by the love of the Father. His so the pursuit of this love, how do we grab a hold of this love? How do we meditate on it day and night that it becomes transformational? That it's the primary characteristic of who the Father is, is love. You know, you've heard me say that love cannot be love without choice. That's just the truth. We remove choice, then we remove love. Because love demands a choice. Now that was the garden. You've got the tree of life, the tree of knowledge, good and evil. You've got these two paradoxes right here. One is the wisdom and understanding within God. The other is wisdom and understanding apart from God. And so love demanded a choice. You can eat of me or you can eat of the things that are outside of me. And people are like, well, why did he put an option? Because if you remove the option, you remove the ability to choose which is the very basis of what love is. is the understanding that I have to choose. So when he says, if you love me, you will obey me. Again, obedience comes and flows through this understanding of love. Obedience outside of love and the understanding of love is legalism, control, religion, manipulation. It's all these different things. But within the context of love, obedience is a fruit of his spirit, which is self-control. You can't have self-control without love. How do we grasp it? How do we meditate on this thing that we need so desperately that literally walks us into holiness that walks us into righteousness because that is the declaration that he says that we must live for the just shall live by faith be ye holy as i am holy but holiness isn't like i say many times that holiness is not sinlessness but holiness can produce sinlessness but holiness in itself is just not the absence of sin. Because if that was true, then the Pharisees were holy. If that was true, then the law could fulfill all things. And we would have never needed Christ to die such a gruesome death if holiness was based upon what we do instead of who we know. Holiness comes from the root word whole. What are you whole in? See, I, I, I desire 
to love like he loves. I desire that within my life. When I look at the people that, you know, I, I don't know how vocal people who dislike you are. Maybe it's just because I have a, a bigger, a big following on Facebook, but, you know, I have a lot of people that hate me. <laughs> and a lot of people that don't mind telling me they hate me. <laughs> And they write all kinds of things, and they say it, and they do it with pleasure. You know, we had a guy recently write a review on the Ignite page, telling a, pretty much telling the world how terrible of a person I am. It's still up there. And then he went to even like the review that he wrote by putting a smiley face. So, so this is, this is the type of stuff that I often have to endure. How do I become so selfless in my love that, you know, when I went through a season five years ago where some of the most dearest people that I loved literally decided they hated me and, and made it well known to my face and meetings and letters and meetings with other leadership and stuff like that. It was, it was, it was hard. It was so hard. I remember, I think Elizabeth and Matt were there and Michelle, but I think it was the second time Dan Muller came in and we had had lunch. I was, had lunch with Dan, and after lunch, we went back to the church before the next session, and I sat down, and I was, I was sitting next to Dan, and I just told him, I said, how do I, how do I get past this? All this, all that's said, all that's done. And, you know, he, he kind of just spoke into that situation some, and the Lord started telling me, write them love letters. So I would take the people that hated me the most and I would write them love letters once a month. Boy, that was hard. That was hard to not do it tongue in cheek. That was hard to not do it with anger or resentment. But as I continued to send these love letters to these people, I, I began to weep for them. I began to really love them and the same people that were so cruel one by one became friends again with me as I bared my heart before them. You know, it was in that time I was sitting down, I was, I was drinking some coffee at the coffee shop and I was reading the Bible. And, you know, uh, I came across the scripture that says, love conquers all things. And I used to think that that was, I could love you enough that I would conquer you. <laughs> but the more I began to love people that hated me, the more I realized that the conquering was me. <laughs> the conquering was my own heart. My heart began to break, not theirs necessarily. Some of their hearts even hardened more. <laughs> 
because they were trying to perceive what was the agenda that I was trying to accomplish in this moment. And I was just doing it out of this place of I'm, I'm broken. And the way I overcome this brokenness is literally is, is loving you despite if you ever love me back. How does that look? And then the Lord spoke to me one day and, you know, I coined this cliche or little one-liner and he said, the offended built fences and they called them boundaries. The offended build fences and they call them boundaries. And I started looking at what be considered offenses in my life, whom I offended at. And, you know, I, I remember one time buying a book that I think Dave Ramsey would recommend about once every week called Boundaries. <laughs> boundaries with your family, boundaries with your mother-in-law, father-in-law, boundaries with your friends. You need boundaries. Boundaries are good. Boundaries protect you. But I quickly understood that building fences didn't just keep them out, it kept God out. <laughs> that I built these boundaries so secure because it was in the confrontation that actually revealed my heart. I suddenly understood this reality that, that the moment offense happened in my life, it literally stopped time in that relationship. Isn't it amazing that you can run into people that you haven't seen in five years and the moment they're in the room with you, you suddenly are very aware that something is not right with this relationship. Have you seen them in five years? No. Did they do something terrible to you five years ago? Yes. But all of a sudden, we don't see them of who they are in that moment. We see them by what they did to us five years ago. So let's change the, the concept of this relationship. Let's say now these people have repented. They're, they're running after Jesus. They're building orphanages in Africa. They're rescuing sex, sex traffic victims off the streets. They're doing amazing things for God, but yet you are completely blind to what God is doing in this moment through their life because you're seeing them by what they did to you five years ago. And so that boundary that you built now has blinded you from the perception of what Holy Spirit is speaking over their life in that moment. You're blinded by the reality of what God's done in them and through them and not only did you build a boundary to protect your own heart from them, you built a boundary that protected you from what Holy Spirit is speaking about them. Because you don't want to know what they're doing now. You want justice. <laughs> justice. Justice is an amazing word. When we cry justice, I want justice. When we demand God to give us justice for what someone's done for us, what we're saying is, Jesus, 
step off the mercy seat and climb back on the cross. Say it again. When we demand God for justice for what someone has done to us, we're asking Jesus to get off the mercy seat, nail himself back on a cross, and die all over again. Think about that. Because what we're saying is what he did 2,000 years ago didn't cover what they did to us two months ago, two years ago, five years ago. It's rough. It's rough. I would always have people that would message me, and, you know, you start, I would post, you know, the offended build fences, they call them boundaries. I'd have pastors call me out. I'd have people, they would get all flustered by it. Well, what if, what if this, what if that, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if they were raped? What if they were molested? And all the what ifs tell me that you're taking your situation and you're putting it above what Jesus went through on the cross. How could you say that? You've never been raped. You've never been molested. You've never, how could you say that? So you're saying I should put myself back in a situation that could potentially put myself in harm again and again and again and again. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, can you look and say all is well with my soul? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But I can point you to the testimonies of, for instance, this one girl. All she knew was the Lord's Prayer. She, she grabbed the whole, she, she had been taught the Lord's Prayer prior to being sold into sex slavery in Europe. And here she is, a young teenage girl being sold into sex slavery, and the only thing she knows is the Lord's Prayer. And as she was raped again and again and again and again, as she's being raped, she would recite in her mind the Lord's Prayer. Finding one day to be rescued out of that life and rescued out of that life after being raped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. She literally came out of that life, not scarred by that life. Why? She learned not to walk with an offense in her heart, even as she's being. How can, how can you think about these early believers being thrown into the Colosseum with their children? to be ripped apart by lions, holding no offense in their heart, but finding it the reasonable service to suffer with Christ. Isn't that amazing? What would it be like to live a life with no offense? I'm trying to discover it. I'm trying to figure it out. Where... We live in a society now where there's people are emboldened to give their opinion. 
People are emboldened to type things. I've, I've had people that would say the worst things about me privately, behind my back, email, text. People would send them to me. This is what's being said. To get eye to eye, face to face with these people in the room, they were about as sheepish as you could possibly imagine. No boldness, no spine in that moment to say what they were truly saying behind closed doors. People are emboldened to give you their worst opinions. That's what social media has done. They can type with a keyboard without any idea of the consequences of what they're saying in that moment. So how do we live in a society where not only the worst thoughts of yourself are trying to run through your own minds, but having those who will even voice the worst thoughts and opinions of yourself vocally over and over and over again. You know, one of the things that when you begin to live in a life where you can see into the supernatural, you suddenly find that the enemy loves to take little truths about your life and wraps big lies around them. You know, they, one time they pulled Oral Roberts to the side and there was a lot of controversy that was going around, around Oral Roberts' life and, and, and the starting of, uh, of Oral Roberts University and all this other stuff. And they asked Oral Roberts a question. And they said, what do you say about these accusations? Oral Roberts stopped and he said, there's always a little truth wrapped in a big lie. That's how you sell it. And how many times have you had people come to you or you've heard the rumors of other people and they, they, they present this plate filled with lies about you, but in this plate is a little bit of truth. You know, somebody came to me and they said, you know, I heard the Brents going around sleeping with other women doing all these things, I could easily just laugh that off because there is no reality nor truth in that, not one ounce. And the devil's too smart for that. Now, I've never had someone say, well, I saw Brent praying for this woman over in a corner somewhere, looked a little too intimate. As I've had women weeping and crying on my shoulder at college campuses as they're getting touched by the Holy Spirit and he's revealing their purpose and their value things that could have been presented as, as false. But the devil knows he has no ground in that. So he's not going to bring an accusation that can easily be thrown to the ground. <laughs> Instead, he takes something about your character that you are worried or concerned about, and he wraps it in a lie, and he presents it to you through other people. And you, can't, you, you can become aware in that moment that is demonically influenced to try to derail you from the way and the path that the Lord is trying to do in your life right now, or you can take offense at it and take offense at the person not understanding the spirit that is at work behind it. Discernment is a gift of the spirit, 
But discernment is not criticism. Far too many times I've used discernment as criticism. I'll repent of that today. You can get so good at reading people, reading their situation. And you can read and you can discern and you can sit back and you can create a judgment that if you presented it in the secular world, they would think you were a psychic. They would think you're a psychiatrist, that you've studied the, the brain and the intellect and all these different things that, wow, look at him. He can really just slice this thing apart. But at the end of the day, my wisdom, my understanding, and my discernment, if it is not used for the ministry of reconciliation, and if it is not followed through into pulling someone out of their hell into his light, if it's not about going and circumcising the heart to bring them into the reality of the Father's love, then it is judgment, it is criticism, and it is demonic. And I have fallen victim to it too much lately. How do I love like him? How do I judge a situation without removing first the plank from my own eye or the log as it's said, pull the log from your own eye. How do I do that with integrity, character, wisdom, anointing, and the spirit of God? It's easy. What is the motivation? What is the motivation of your heart? And Paul's saying, I'm, I've been compelled by love. I would burn my body. I would, I would damn myself to hell if I could save my people, if I knew that it would enter them into eternal life. You know, I was thinking, I was driving in, I had this analogy in my head. Of, you know, you're, you're seeing people walking toward a cliff and you look at them and you say, hey, hey, stop, stop right now. You could get hurt. There's a cliff over there. There's danger. You need to stop. You need to turn around and go this way right now. You're authoritative. Now, how would you act if it was your child? If they were inching toward the edge of the cliff, they were about to, in, in the very action of you running out of that response to grab them could further their demise by them falling even quickly, causing them to become very distracted in that moment and fall to their own death. What would compelling look like? <laughs> would it not be this, no, 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 come, come here, come here. Don't go that way. Don't do that. It wouldn't be, stop it. You're going to get in trouble. See, that's what I often see the people holding the signs on the side of the road. Repent, you fornicators, you adulterers, you're going to hell. 
Then we want to suddenly take Jesus' words to Mary on the street and say, go and sin no more, as Jesus is saying, go and sin no more. But instead, it was that secondary response that I showed of, no, 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 don't do this, Mary. Don't do this. The trouble, the pain, the agony, you could put yourself in danger. They might drag you out into the street. I may not be here. I may not be here. Don't do it, Maggie. Or not Maggie, Mary Mandolin. Don't do it. Come to me, come to me, come to me. That would be the response of Jesus in that moment. The harshness of no. Stop it, you sinner. Could often and most likely push them further into their own demise. Harden their heart a little bit more. I'm going to do it my way. So when I think about this idea and the concept of those who are perishing, I wish we had the audio of Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. I think one day we'll, we'll be able to replay that, this next side of eternity. But when Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, you don't know the Father. You never have. My Father is not your Father. Your Father's the devil. And where I go, you cannot come. We usually translate that through our offense. We translate it toward those who have trespassed against us, demanding justice, and we, we often put the words in Jesus' mouth like he's sitting there in this mocking attitude. The one who came to serve, the one who came to wash feet. We're still picturing the Jesus holding the whip, driving out those selling merchandise as though Jesus is still standing there with the whip in his hand saying, you cannot go with me. I'd love to hear his voice. The agony. The deep, deep desire. As he's on the cross, give him. They don't know what they're doing. Because they knew they wouldn't do it. Where is that response inside of us? For this is the love of Christ. This is what I long to burn within me. To live that way. With no offense in my heart. You can't have authority over what you don't love. Why would it cast out devils and heal the sick and raise the dead? Paul, if you have not love in your heart, you can prophesy, you can cast out devils, you can do all these things, you can say unto the mountain, be thou removed with all your faith. But it's nothing. It's nothing. 
when he says, depart from me, I never knew you, was because the works were not motivated by love. wasn't because they weren't works. You can have faith to move mountains, but love moves faith. How do I love like that? You can't love like that until you've danced with him, until you've looked in his eyes, until you've been lost in his presence until you have immersed yourself in a relationship until his reality has now become yours. It's the only way. How much I feel like I failed when it comes to love. fact that we would jump over the moon for our family. We would do anything and everything to protect our children, our spouses. But yet Jesus sits there in a room surrounded by people. His disciples walk up and say, your, your, father, your mother and your brothers, your sister are downstairs. And he says, no, these are my mothers, my brothers, and my sisters. Can you love people as much as you love those dearest to you? That's the love of Jesus. Oh, I long for that. That I would love the person on the street that what if we had that weight upon us, that, that desire, please, no, just, just turn around. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're saying. What if that was our response toward those who hate us the most? As I would write these emails to people, it would, some would write back, what are you doing? Others wouldn't even respond for months and months and months. I would continue to honor them. I would continue to love them. This wasn't some ploy of manipulation. This wasn't trying to get them to love me back. This was just, I had tapped into the source of love. It was an endless supply. It was an endless supply. I didn't have to try to produce it. I didn't have to try to get it to bowl, you know, come out of me was a river of life. What Paul's saying is that if you take the manifestations of the Spirit apart from the baptism of love, you have nothing. to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism of love. His fire is love. Why can't we see that? God is love. God is an all-consuming fire. 
His love is fire. His fire is love. The baptism of Holy Spirit is to be consumed with the knowledge of his love. There's not a devil in hell that can withstand it. You know, they often talk about the Bob Jones vision or dream where Bob Jones went to heaven and Peter and Paul were at the gate and they were letting people come through and some people, they would look at him and say, no, no, go, go. And they would walk away with this overwhelming condemnation. It's the condemnation of hiding in darkness rather than light. It's, it's the difference between remaining in the bosom of his love, remaining in a place of intimacy, wholeness in him. And as Bob Jones got closer, he could hear the question. And the question that he, that Peter and Paul would ask was this one question, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? No, I cast out devils, I healed the sick, I prophesied. No, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? If you didn't depart from me, I never knew you because your love shows that you're mine. You will know those who, who follow me. You will know my disciples by their love. So here's the deal. Do I love like he loves I want to. I desire it within my heart. I don't want any offense. I don't want any boundaries. I don't want any walls built within my heart. I don't want to. I don't want to ever rub up against somebody year, two years down the road, and when I see them in a room, all of a sudden there's that feeling in the pit of your stomach, like, oh, they're here. They're here. I don't want that. I don't want that first embrace with them after not seeing them for a, a long time to be uncomfortable because there's things that are unresolved within my heart. I want to bleed love. I want his all-consuming love. And what that looks like, like I said, it's holiness. It's righteousness. It's peace. It's joy. There's no confusion. It's a simple reality of taking a checklist and saying, okay, apparently I don't have it. Because I, I got this, 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 and this. Listen, the greatest teaching that ever grabbed my heart was it's an understanding of what grace is. Take the thoughts that you have against your life 
reverse the lie and you have the truth. I'm a failure. I'm worthless. I'm nothing. I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. Take it. It's a lie. It's the devil. Just take it. Reverse it. That's who you are. That's who you are. Grace is amazing. Grace sees you as a finished work. Not as a work in progress. Grace says, I've washed you, I've cleansed you, I've sanctified you, I've made you holy, I've made you righteous. As I am, so are you. It's what grace has done. It has perfected you. When, we, when I got a hold of that, the sting of sin, oh, I remember those moments when I would sin and I would have two trees set in front of me. I have the tree of life that I can eat in that moment. I've just sinned. I feel terrible. I feel pathetic. I feel awful. I'm living in a shadow of darkness. And there's these two trees sitting in front of me. One is the understanding and the knowledge of his love. And the other one is the wisdom and understanding of who I am apart from him. Sometimes we just eat of that other tree because we don't want to walk in that full reality yet. There's something about that reality that struggles. It's hard sometimes for someone to look at you in the eyes and say, I remember I would go to college cam campuses and stuff and whether it was these guys or these girls, I remember this one girl, I just looked at her in her eyes and I just said, do you not know you're beautiful? And I said, it's so hard for you, isn't it? I said, just this morning, you're trying to put makeup on. This was like four years ago. I said, you're trying to put makeup on and all you can do is see yourself through what your friend said about you two days ago. And she just lost it. Tears started streaming down her face. She was shaking all over. I said, he says you're beautiful. She just fell to the ground weeping. That's what Jesus did to Mary right then. That's what he said. You've got all that makeup on. You've got your hair braided. You've got these perfumes. You've got all these things. It's amazing. She, she wore that perfume to anoint herself for adultery. <laughs> she takes that perfume and she breaks it. She says, I'm anointed for something else, a marriage. <laughs> she anoints his feet with the very thing she anointed herself to try to lure men into the bed. It was like breaking a piece of her old life away, saying, I'm no longer associated with this. I'm no longer anointing myself for this. I've been anointed as a daughter, as a lover, to a bridegroom. And now she anoints his feet 
She anoints his feet so that she can be brought into this consummation to become one with him. One with him. And this grace that would present itself to me when I would sin and I would see myself as a wretch, I would see myself as a sinner, I would see myself as broken. And I've got this reality, I can, can eat of this other tree and hide out in darkness just a little longer before I have to deal with the alternative. Why? Because the alternative to me, the tree of life to me was taught as the woodshed. <laughs> Growing up, the tree of life was, we need to deal with this instead of we've already dealt with this. So I, I had to take the lashes on my back if I beat myself hard enough and I, and I loathe in my sin and, and I, re, I, I deal with the pain and the agony of, oh, that's so stupid. Why would I do I know better that somehow that pleased God. Not knowing the entire time I was grieving his heart because he's saying, do you not see the words on the cross? Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do is now written upon me. It's being spoken over me. Not because of what I looked at or what I did. That, not that part. The part that was being spoken, he knows not what he does. Forgive him. Was that I was putting myself through something that had already been reconciled. I was putting myself through an agony that I didn't have to go through. I was not pleasing God and groveling on the floor and trying to climb the steps of the Vatican or whatever you want to call it. Instead, I was grieving his very spirit who was the comforter who was waiting there, opened arms saying, let me love the hell out of you. Amen. When all of a sudden I could grab a hold of that and I could eat of that tree, sin had no sting. People think, well, you could abuse that. No, I could not abuse it because in the middle of it, I would sin. I'd go, wait, I was never created for that. I was created for you, Jesus. I'm so sorry. I don't even have to say I'm sorry. You know my heart. You know my heart. That was never who I was called to be, and that is not who I am now. I thank you. I'm whole. I'm righteous. I'm cleansed. I'm sanctified. I am holy as you are holy. And the next time sin came knocking on the door, guess what? I had an advocate with me. I had a Holy Spirit that would suddenly speak up and say, hey, I just want you to know there's something hiding around the corner there. It's waiting for you. What are you going to do? I thank you, Father. You've given me authority. You've given me power to overcome as you overcome. Grace set my heart on fire for his love. It made me realize the truth. I was acceptable before I even realized it. While I was yet a sinner, he loved me. 
He demonstrated it toward me. He called me righteous. He called me his own. He said, you are mine. I didn't have to beat myself over the back anymore. And as I fell deeper into this beauty of grace, all of a sudden love was its natural response. Because you protect what you love. I'm protecting this relationship. I'm protecting this, this king. This I don't want this in my heart. I don't want this around me. I don't want to watch that anymore. I don't want to think that. And when it accidentally pops up, guess what? That's not me anymore. <laughs> when someone said something, it was like, no, that's not who I am. That's not, and I'm not offended that you even think that about me. Instead, I just want you to know he loves you so much. Because I used to be that. I used to act that way. I used to do the same thing. Because I was walking out of a place of not knowing his love and the revelation of his goodness and his mercy. And it wasn't until I knew that that I had power. I want that love. I have it. It's there. It's in me. It's endless. But there's a resting. There's a resting. But before there's a rest, there's a laboring and a striving, he says. Let us labor. Let us strive that we may enter into his rest. That his works would be manifested through us. Hebrews 4. Let us labor. People are like, well, what's this laboring? What's this? It's the choosing to be loved. Because that's the thing. We've all been ingrained for the fall of Adam that we're not worthy of love. How? How could we just be worthy of it? How could you and me be worthy of love? Don't I need to earn it? Don't I need to do something? Don't I need to do good works? Don't I need to say the right words? I mean, that's, that's what we've been taught since the day we were born. We get a pat on the back and a hug when we do good. We get the woodshed when we do bad. And this is how this system works. And so we take that and we relate it to the Father. And now we've made the Father the lover and the woodshed. I will beat you into loving me. One time a guy holding signs on the street and I asked him a question. I just said, let me, let me just say this. For God so loved the world. That's coming out of your mouth a lot. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. And then there's this other part that you're saying, repent or you're going to hell. So pretty much the image that you're painting right now is God is sitting on the throne and you're saying, God loves you, go sit in his lap. 
right now. He loves you so much. Go sit in his lap. But the flip side of that is if you don't get sit in his lap right now, he's going to burn you in hell. You're going to be damned to hell. If you don't go sit in his lap right now and let him love you, you're going to burn in hell. Isn't that the, the presentation of most gospel? What about a presentation of God so loves you that he's going to let you choose whether you are loved or not? And if you reject that love, it's not his doing. It's not his lack of loving. It's not his lack of sacrifice. He didn't say, hey, go climb up on a cross and get crucified and I will love you. He said, no, I'm going to come and I will crucify myself to show you I love you. I will go further than you could ever take it. People are like, well, I will love you even till my death. He said, I will love you past my death. I will go up on a cross. I will die the death and I'll come back to life and give you that. He went further than any of us could ever go. We can't whip ourselves on the back. We can't nail ourselves to a cross. We can't put a thorns on our heads. We can't put ourselves to open shame like he did. He did it all. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But then he puts the world back in this place. He comes from his grave. He ascends to the cross or from the cross up into heaven, and then he presents again. I give you a choice, life or death. Speak life, choose life. And he presents us once again with the manna from heaven, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And he says, here I am, eat of me, drink of me, eat of me, drink of me. And the crowds look at him and say, what is he talking about? Cannibalism? Isn't it a sin for us to eat and drink the blood of man? Eat of me, drink of me. I'm the tree. I'm the tree. Eat of me, drink of me. I don't understand because you can't understand it. And so humanity from that day forward is the two trees. What are you going to eat? What are you going to do? What are you going to live under? Darkness or light? Darkness or light? That's the gospel. The darkness that I hide myself from his presence. Out of what? Out of the fear of being loved. Like I said, the, I've received spankings, I've received punishment, I've had loving, loving parents, loving parents, amazing parents. And the world taught me when I do bad, bad things happen, and all this other stuff. And I took that perception and I replaced God with it. And I lived my life fearing love. But the, here's the deal. You've heard me say it, the greatest governor over my heart was love, not punishment. The law was 
do this, don't do this, and it was black and white. That was all. The new covenant is don't do this because this happens, and this happens, and you were never created for this. You were created for me. You were created to be a temple. You are created to be a, my dwelling place where I come and I live and I abode so that you can touch the world through me. So their eyes would become open. They could see me, that you would be a walking epistle, the light of the world, the city sit on a hill. But law just said, don't do it. Stop it. I mean, how many times have you heard that? Stop it. Nothing behind it, just a word, just no. When all you needed was someone to pick you up, put you on the knee, and explain it. Why? Why don't I touch the stove? It looks hot. It looks red. It's pretty. I want to touch it. No, you don't. It's going to burn. It's going to hurt you. It's going to take weeks for it to heal. What do you mean? I could just sleep with this person? That's fine. No, it's not fine. You were never created for that. You never created that. You were created for me. Sleeping with this person, you... You could get all the stuff the enemy wants that moment. Isn't it amazing that sometimes people could go their entire life living in and out of other relationships, sleeping with as many people, and then all of a sudden this one person, this one virgin, in one moment, in one situation, sleeps and comes down with an STD, and they're marked with that the rest of their life, while this person that has slept around again and again and again and again never gets it. And now you carry that through your entire life. As a judgment, well, God must have given it to me because I messed up. I should have held myself. I knew better. Not understanding that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's waiting for a moment that he can get at you an identity that will you live with you for the rest of your life. But it's not yours. It's not what you were created for. And God can come and crush it in a moment. It's not him. He did not do it. Amen. But that's what we teach ourselves. I've got to carry the consequence. No, he carried the consequence. When you get to heaven, you get to see the consequences of your sin, not upon your own body, but upon his. You get to put your fingers in those holes and you get to look at the scarred back that he carries. And you get to see who carried your sins and the consequences of your sins. You do not bear the consequences of your sins. He did. And as long as you continue to think that way, you will separate you from the reality that you can have, which is a kingdom that comes and lives inside of you. And you can come out of your darkness, which is just truly rebellion against love. And you can come into his glorious light and you can live in the fullness of what you were created to be in his image. But as long as we make it about good, bad, heaven, hell, you miss the beauty of transformation. Because all you get is lip service. Lip service. What did he tell the Pharisees? You've searched out the word. You've searched the scripture and you still can't see me. I'm right here. You can't see me. Why? Because you want justice. 
You don't want a king that's coming on a donkey's back. You want one that rides up in a horse, that goes straight to Nero, goes straight to Titus, and overthrows the world system. You want a king that will promote you. Not a king that you can promote. See, that's the, that's the world system. We're not called for that. We're not called to live under that. Grace is incredible. It's done the unachievable. Yes, we have these beautiful songs about grace. Save the wretch like me. Jesus didn't come to save wretches. I love, I love the context of the song. But listen, he never came to save wretches. He came for lost sons and daughters. That's what we need to remember. You are not a wretch. You are lovable. You were created for it. You were created to be loved. You were created for beauty. Those aren't fluffed up words that I hear every book being written about and all this other stuff of people just looking and saying, you're beautiful. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the beauty of what this gospel is. Restoration, transformation, and manifestation of glory. So what am I seeking? I'm seeking to be wrecked by love that I would come into a greater revelation. That my heart when I'm on the street is not my next testimony, is not my next healing, it's nothing. It's not the next deliverance session. It's come, come, you were never created for that. Come, come away from that cliff. Don't hide in darkness. He loves you. Well, where is our compelled by love? We've replaced it with compelled by judgment. And damnation. And it does not usher forth the kingdom of heaven because you can't separate the kingdom of heaven from the very character of who God is. The entire kingdom of heaven flows through one reality, love. And we need it, we desire it, and it'll transform you, it'll heal you, it'll remove the offenses from your heart. You'll stop living your life, if I can just, if I can just get over this, if I can just, if, if it wasn't for this person, don't live your life blaming someone else. When you get to heaven, you can't blame them. You can't say, it was my friend, it was my spouse, it was this, it was that. If I was just born in a different atmosphere, if I was born in a different home, you can't talk about that. When you stand in front of what is holy, what is righteous, what is pure? You have no defense. 
That's why it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Why? Because you have no defense. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None are righteous, no, not one. So we can't blame anyone else when we stand before a holy God, for this is why I'm the way I am. Now when I've seen people come out of a hell you've never even known, don't be the victim of what happened to you. Don't become the victim of your story. Because listen, I can pull somebody up here. I can listen to Aaron's testimony. I can listen to some other people's testimonies here. And they can get up here and they can tell you of the hell. And then someone can stand up and say, well, you don't know what hell I've been through. Well, you don't know what hell I've been through. You don't know what I've had to live with. You don't know what I had to put up with. And everybody competing on who's the bigger victim of their situation. That defense does not hold before God. You will not get up there and say, but, but you don't know, but. No, you'll be trembling, covering your eyes. It won't be Jesus with a sheep around his neck, lounging against a throne, eating grapes. You could be looking and I think that's what John thought he was going to see. Oh, look, it's the Christ. Whoa, 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 whoa. What happened? Lightning in his eyes. His hair white. And in that place, there is no defense. John saw his lover transformed into his king. He did not know how to deal with that. He was used to laying his head on his, on his breast and saying, I'm the disciple in whom he loved. And now he's confronted with, he's not who I think he was. He's greater than what I could ever imagine. He went into the grave as a carpenter. He rose up the line of Judah. He went into the grave as the lamb to be slain. He rose as the line of Judah. He didn't go into hell with a lamb around his neck. He went in as an all-consuming fire. For some, it was absolute torment. For others, it was the greatest splendor they had ever known. I'm just quoting scripture. I could have posted the, the verse, the chapter, and the book, but it's in here. It's in here. It's not a figment of my imagination. It's in here. What would lead Paul to saying, if I could damn myself to hell to save you? I would. I would. Why would he say, for we know the terror of the Lord? 
Why would he talk about the judgment seat of Christ? Why would he talk about these things? Because when we get there, there is no defense. It's, I presented you as a chastened gift before my father, but you refused it. I died for your disease, but you refused it. I was beaten for your transgressions, but you refused it. I laid my life down for you, and you refused it. No longer ignorance. When you to understand, there is no ignorance as a defense. Well, we just didn't know. No, that's not truth. That's not truth. You know why it's not truth? It's because he said, when I go, I will send it. I will send it. Send who? Holy Spirit. What will Holy Spirit do? He will convict the hearts of all men. Everyone, all men. And I will pour out my spirit upon all, all flesh, all flesh. I will bring them to a remembrance of the account of what I went through. I will show myself, and yet they still push me away. There is no account. Prior to that, prior to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was just what you could say with your mouth. But God went far above what you could ever imagine when he sent Holy Spirit. He said, not only is it those who can hear my voice, but I'm going to go and prick the hearts of every single person that is to be born so they have no excuse you don't know what the ignorance that they did in the Old Testament well that's why he went into hell for three days to remove the ignorance and to reveal the hearts of men listen there's lots of people that will not make it because they sought him for lust, not love. They sold themselves as concubines, not brides. They lived for what they could get out of them. That's what he's saying. Depart from me, I never knew you. You sought works, signs, wonders, ministries, platforms, recognition, and you missed the gospel. Amen. It was about love. It was about becoming love. I didn't.